You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This episode, we're going to talk about Billie Holiday's Lady in Satin. In the room, I got Rob, hey. Adam, Ben, Hello. Grady, John, yep. myself. All right, Lady in Satin is an album by the jazz singer Billie Holiday, released in June of 1958 on Columbia Records. It was produced by Irving Townshend. Uh, the genre is vocal jazz. After an unfriendly relationship with Verve Records, Holiday moved over to Columbia Records. For this album, Holiday was seeking arrangements and somber mood, something similar to Frank Sinatra's We Small Hours. Mm. She originally wanted Nelson Riddle, but after hearing Ray Ellis's version of For All We Know, she was sold. On Lady in Satin, Ellis created arrangements of the songs to match Holiday's voice. By the mid to late 50s, Holiday's voice changed drastically due to years of alcohol and drug abuse, altering its texture and get, giving it a fragile, raspy sound. Despite her voice's setback on the penultimate album, she never lost the edge that had always made it so distinctive and was able to still use her style and phrasing that made her a popular jazz singer. So what did we think of Billie Holiday's Lady in Satin? I liked it a lot. It was interesting to, uh, to hear you say that about uh, how they were going for the wee small hours thing, mm. because definitely the vibe I got from it. And, like, I remember... I, I, by like glad to be unhappy i had to go stop it to go look up to see if it was nelson riddle because like the arrangements reminded me so much of of that record so for you to say it's intentional like all the pieces are kind of falling together yeah i'm just yeah. sort of naked honest vulnerable 3 a.m yeah talking about unrequited love and all the regrets and all this sad torch songs stuff. again <laughs> Well, I mean, torch songs, but in in this in this way that they almost never never were. Um, I mean, except for that that Sinatra album, um, and I think I saw that this is among her favorites of her, yeah, her own album. Yeah, she said that this was possibly her favorite album, or you know, I was listening to it. Um, in at a time that I was it was like the worst possible time to enjoy the record and I knew that it would influence my opinion of it too much I've listened to a lot of Billie Holiday uh, over the years but this is a record that I don't think I have ever listened to the whole thing um and it it is definitely bare you know it's I mean she's always got that lilting even her early stuff like it, she's got a scratchy voice I mean, it's a little she has a raw quality to her voice 
that this record definitely st like stuck out. I was I was doing a construction project that I'd been doing it for like 10 hours and I was just finishing up and I'm just so exhausted and I need usually that's when you put on something to pick you up and then this record came on after Tito and I was like oh god <laughs> it made me laugh because I knew it would make me biased but you know I mean it's Billie Holiday it's, yeah she's yeah. great so what I wrote down when I was listening to it was it sounds like a Broadway show of the saddest character <laughs> sort of a surreal beauty in it sort of like the weirdest contrast of this such melodic orchestrated you know 40 piece orchestra behind someone who just wants to die wants to, yeah <laughs> basically cannot keep it together can't has that gravelly voice and is just almost reaching out um i like the idea of a broadway show but it's only soliloquies and arias of the most depressed character. <laughs> well, I think that's a testament too to Ray Ellis's orchestration. Like it, it fits. You know, I, I was gonna say it doesn't. Though. Uh, I thought I, I thought it was a little off. It's a little I, too lush and a little too. But that's the crazy thing. But that's why so it's surreal. It, it kind of it works, works. It totally in works. a weird way. But it doesn't. It's it's a it's a juxtaposition though that that works despite itself. It's not that the arrangements, I feel, I don't feel the arrangements are really well suited to her voice and style at this album's recording. They feel independent of the, vo the yeah, vocals. Yeah. I feel like I'm listening to a movie soundtrack and then Billie Holiday is singing over it. And then she comes in Yeah, it feels really, it. I feel this record feels very like disjointed yeah. and I don't know that that's a bad thing. I mean, oh, it's sad. It's quiet, oh, it's mad. It's a good thing, oh, it's bad. But beautiful, beautiful to take a chance. And if you fall, you fall. And I'm thinking, I wouldn't mind at all. I mean, if you're if you're supposed to have this lonely person that's singing these sad songs. Um, well, it provides an interesting counterpoint to that, in it, yeah, in, inadvertently, in that you have this, like, I think they call it these satiny strings of the time that a lot of other types of albums of this style would, would get that same treatment. But then you have Holiday coming in with this completely naked, raspy singing that was unlike what else was going on so it it sets that apart just because of how how different they are in this, this sort of striking comparison yeah it seemed uh, just observation the uh, a lot of the the horn stuff or just a lot of the orchestration that's happening like they keep doing like these uh like it looks like the dude that did the James Bond theme was borrowing from this a little bit 
And also, there's either a theremin or a saw being played that. in the background. I was, I was thinking the and same like, thing. There's a voice fuck? that sounds a little Could like a that at one too, point. Yeah. I don't know what it is exactly. But... It says, Ellis used a 40-piece orchestra complete with horn, strings, reeds, and even a three-piece choir. Mm, it would well. turn out to be Holiday's most expensive music production. Sure. I mean, yeah. You 40 musicians on scale. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, talking about this... I I really don't know what what Ray Ellis was going for. I mean, was he going for this intentionally big band orchestrated sound with the like a lonely character, or was he un like is that unintentional that he? Well, you'd mentioned there was tension initially, right? Because she yeah you know, she coming she, from her thirties forties coming from. Era, yeah, coming from a uh, Verve Records, she had kind of a falling out because she got. Uh, bypassed for Ella Fitzgerald. Ella Fitzgerald would be for all her, you know. Sure. She was kind of second fiddle to Ella Fitzgerald on Verve, and she was pretty unhappy about that. I, I just remember something in the notes uh, of the book, um, mm-hmm. the Thousand One One Album, yep. saying that the arranger uh, was initially dissatisfied with oh. with her vocal quality and, yeah. and an overall sort of yeah. Vibe. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, and took some. That's interesting because, like, she was, that sounds like a contrast. You know, it's like they, like, it sounds like the arranger wants this really clean production that's like seamless. Yeah. And then she's making. It sounds like she's making a record that's like, you know, that, like a late career, dark, moody, heavy it's moments. And, yeah. But also, how much of that is in retrospect, or and how much of that was intentional on her part? Well, but the the song selection to me suggests sure. that it is uh, an attempt to make a very sad record. No, no, I absolutely, absolutely <laughs> yeah. agree. So I'm just, I mean, there's no way you pick these songs and do them this slow and this uh, the vocal performance that she does without saying I'm going to make a dark, sad sure. record. Yeah, and so the, yeah. the music is way more optimistic and sort of um, idyllic in a way. The orchestration. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry, the orchestration. So I think that's just such a huge contrast. And I honestly, for me, the jury's out. Like, like I don't know if I think it works. I can't tell if it works because it doesn't, or if, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Well, the, to me, the, the orchestration seems dated. The vocals seem timeless. Mm. Um, well, she just has such a quality. Yeah, this is, um, this is kind of a de- divisive uh, album uh, for Billie Holiday fans because exactly what you were saying some feel like she her voice is gone and this is you know like this is not the proper context to have her in i mean she's more in the vein of having a backing like a yeah it's kind of like almost trying to these these waves of strings or aren't helping her at all is what some people would would contest and other people say are kind of arguing what we've been saying is it provides this sort of contrast of a fragile character the big question is would this would a record with her singing like this uh that was a more bare stripped down uh arrangements would that have been even better in that way or or and would a record of her when she was younger and maybe her voice was more controlled with this arrangement also been better? I don't know. And 
if I think you're being popularly who knows at the time, yeah. if I could have heard these vocals with like a jazz trio mm, or that's maybe saying, like yeah. a quartet, a small range. Oh man, that would be incredible. Just yeah. like a naked piano. I was bass, picturing you know, like Tom Waits, like you know, voice horn, and piano. Dark, I, did, I did write down maybe Tom Waits. A guitar, yeah. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like. Maybe that would have been the best way to make this record. But I like this album, I feel, in spite of the orchestrations in a lot of ways. It's not, like, the most offensive thing to me, but but again, it sounds... It, it dates it to, a, to an extent, and I feel does clash with really what she's... The, the pathos and the, the, the sort of the bottom where she's feeling with her heroin addiction and everything. Right. Um, Doesn't clash for me. Like, it, it adds layers, but... I think they're it personally my preference preference I think they're complementary layers. I think probably maybe some of what Grady's saying or where he's coming from is that's a modern perspective. You know, True. like the Tom Waits stripped down like, oh, I am in a place musically through all this history that we've gone through that I can listen to something that is rock bottom kick you in the dick hard like, yeah almost like sad. gravelly like <laughs> not like not on straight on key, you know, that's but you that's, just can't jump there in the fifties. Yeah, that's like the fifties won't take it. This is a different. So different. to so to say that okay, I want to hear those those sad, sort of, you know, fragile portions of a person's voice. If you take this, I don't know how to put it, but a, like a Disney score, and you make it this sad character, like Birch was saying, I think it I think it adds a compliment. I'm I'm really bent on them. This is the tricky part of listening, though, you know, like 60 years later. Oh, yeah. Is that, like, we can only listen through a modern lens. Yeah. Well, we're but reviewing, yeah, yeah. we're literally reviewing these because they're, because we live in today, and there's, people are saying you should still listen to this now because it still works. It's but no that, wham. That's not to say <laughs> no that fucking wham. There, there weren't those naked, fully naked albums from back in this same era that actually were successful in whatever. You don't know what love is until you've learned the meaning of the blues. Until you've loved a love you've had to lose. You don't what love is You don't know How lips hurt Until you've kissed And had the pain The cards Until you've flipped your heart Yeah, and she she was doing stuff like that Previous year, previous album I mean, on Verve There was more stripped down as piano It was the jazz quartet It was, you know, that kind of music And so this is I think one of the reasons this might be in this book Is just based on this this kind of How unique f- it is Unique, yeah. how unique it is I how they didn't want to leave finale. Billie Holiday out either Because the, when yeah. they started the timeline You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because this was like end of her career And it's, it is a, you know, it it is a, mo- a moment in her career kind of a swan that song. fits that yeah that fits in their uh, the parameters. I think they were like, so are we really going to leave her out? Participation trophy. Well, I, I, I think it's a little bit of a lifetime <laughs> achievement award. I, I, I'd like to think it's not a concession or or, or anything. I admit from the book people. Trophy. I mean, honest, honestly, it's such a, a powerful and devastating 
album uh, in, in, in so many ways that I, I think it would it should deserve a place on any such list regardless I just of, think that helps <laughs> sure no I mean, yeah. a, le case, a legacy of like hers she needs she to be noted a no, yeah no that's, that's what I'm trying to say absolutely. like I don't yeah. see I don't see like a lifetime achievement award honestly ever as a diss because it usually means that they've previously been dissed and left out of some mm -hmm. sort of celebration and it's and it's somebody trying to f correct history so you know I mean I think it's yeah. always it's a good nod. Yeah. I will mention that uh, Ray Ellis, uh, we were talking earlier, but he, he was very surprised that he, she even knew who he was and very flattered that she had picked him um, based on his album El uh, Ellis in Wonderland is what it was called. <laughs> uh, but, she, Tight. you know, I think he was a little awestruck with her who she who she was and she had picked him out of this uh you know out of everybody she could have uh, picked she probably could have gotten nelson riddle or somebody else but she she decided on him and i think that might have we we're talking about the conflict between them so you have this this very established person picking kind of a younger up-and-coming person and then maybe they got in the studio and she I mean, it was quoted as she was drinking vodka neat as if it were tap water. She was clearly having problems. And so maybe he the, the conflict with him was he thought this was a great opportunity and they got in the studio and he, he kind of saw how it had become, how bad it had become. And what, so... What was the public's view of her at this, at this, in, in this era? Like, was she still considered this... I mean, she, powerhouse, or was she sort of disregarded at this point as a junkie or a, a has been? Or uh, my, my probably, history probably this... as much as like Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> we okay. think of so there's still a, Keith, leg a legendary a, status, a legacy, a yeah, legacy some there, sort of legacy there. It's regardless not, of any current right specifics. She hadn't, you know, done anything to anybody else. It was only to herself. Sure, which is always. I guess harder to discredit someone for. I mean, it's heartbreaking, but well, well, whether yeah. or not the, like the public had, had seen her as still a viable force in some respect, or just someone who had had lost all. You know, uh, I mean, she clearly changed labels, so sure. that probably there was a schism. Yeah. One way or the other. Yeah. All right. Can we can sorry. we hear the beginning of track four again? We were uh, we were we were talking about stuff when it went on. I just I love her delivery of the the first line. That's funny because I hate that. Oh, I, love it. I love it so much. I like it. No, it's not for me. <laughs> oh. Feels a bit hammy. Just it's like a, it's like a, like a little affected. Well, it's it's like a feigned yeah. optimism. It's to, true. To I be know. fair, she I mean, was blackout drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I oh, think this Billy. is the most positive song on the whole album, <laughs> and it's it's all illusory. <laughs> I'd like to check the lyrics on well, that one it, because I have the feeling that they're not all. Uh, well, maybe. Oh, you know, I mean, she, like when she, you listen to the lyrics, she says, "Oh no, I'm 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 okay, totally lying to myself. Okay, I'm yeah. a wreck. I'm this is bullshit." I couldn't remember. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, have to credit the album cover. Great album cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Billy kind of just looking looking over, actually looking very well. Oh. Um, 
Very well. And she was very well. In her forties. Mm-hmm. But living like she's in her 80s. Yeah. Yeah, she was... You know some hard-partying 80-year-olds? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just mean she just lived hard. Oh, yeah. yeah. Your grandma didn't do speedballs? <laughs> Feeling like she's 80 <laughs> after living tap water. like yeah. she was 18. How about that? So what do we what do we think of this album? How do we feel about it? In ultimate, I like it. Ultimately. I think it's beautiful and, and heartbreaking and and... Yeah, I'd recommend it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a hard, I think I have a hard time recommending it because if you were if you were to be familiar with Billie Holiday's catalog, I I think I could definitely recommend it because it shows a different side of Billie Holiday. But if you were just to pick one album of Billie Holiday, this would probably not be the the one. That's exactly how I feel. It's like I probably have five records of hers, and uh, I would pick something else first. It doesn't mean that. It's not a good record, but right. it's just uh, right. it's it's not a perfect example of what this book is trying to achieve. I mean, some of these people were listening to a record that came out at the peak of when they're what what they're you make the music they're making. In this case, it's a little harder because she's had a storied career. Um, so it's not as like representative of maybe, uh, you know, what Billie Holiday does. Well, the book didn't have a hard start date. Other than like 1955, yeah, mid, 1955, 50s, yeah, yeah, yeah mid fifties. It's just thousand one albums you must hear before you die. Yeah, so sort of they, they could they could put any Billy Holiday album on it. Here, here's the thing though, that yeah, but the but they still started in like fifty five. Yeah. I do feel like that book kind of started at a time when long playing the full album mm-hmm. was was yeah. a thing, and we're talking about cohesive album. All these all the jazz players. Ella Fitzgerald, Billy Holiday. Post-war. Yeah, they had yeah, they, ha- they had the singles. They had forty fives. They had seventy eights. But this is like the long playing record in that Frank Sinatra. Yeah. It makes sense with Frank Sinatra actually because that's like considered the first concept album, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that we were talking about. And so all of these albums, they stack those tracks in in a sort of order. The Elvis record, the you know, they put them out there. It's not just the single. It is like a full album so i can understand kind of where they're why they started it there yeah but it is you're right it is kind of arbitrary you could probably collect better billy holiday songs and stuff but there, there you gotta had, start somewhere there had to be a starting point yeah and i, and I think o- overall that this is an album that is well worth listening to it's yeah in, incredibly just affecting and um heartbreaking and I think it's beautiful. Uh, next episode, we're going to talk about Jack Elliott. Jack takes the floor. Yeah, yeah. Do you mean rambling Jack Elliott? Wh- which Jack Elliott? Rambling Ram- Jack Elliott. Ram- oh. Ramblin'. Oh, all right. Ramblin' Jack Elliott. <laughs> the ramblin' gambling. Accounting man. Jack Elliott. <laughs> Look at yourself. If you had a sense of humor, you would laugh to beat the band. Look at yourself, do you still believe the rumor that romance is simply grand? Since you took it on the chin, you have lost 
that toothpaste grin My mental state is all a jumble